The skirmish was swift and brutal, leaving blood-stained steel gleaming in the torchlight. You step over the dead, catching your breath, weapon held loosely in your grip. What were those beasts protecting so fervently? You can see it now, lying upon a makeshift altar of broken flagstones and fragments of wood. A sword, clearly ancient, with an ornate hilt, emblazoned with long, forgotten sigils. Dust kicks the blade, though its edge is unmarred, likely as sharp as the day it was forged. An enchanted sword, you realize, clearly born of esoteric sorcery. You reach for it, then hesitate. Such a mighty gift left here, untouched for so long. Its guardians lie dead. You ease out a breath and snatch the weapons from its resting place. Hello, it says. You immediately drop the sword. It clatters to the ground with a ring of steel. Come now, the sword intones in your mind. You took me up, now I'm yours. Where shall we go? What shall we do? It's been so very long since I've ventured beyond these crumbling ruins. This description is called An Intelligent Weapon by Describe. Describe your world. Follow the link describe.com slash rpgbot and use the code rpgbot5 for $5 off your first purchase. Welcome to the RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your rare awakened podcast microphone, and with me is Tyler Campstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. All right, Tyler, what's happening? Today, we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics in Dungeon Fantasy games. We're going to talk about intelligent weapons. Well, intelligent items, more generally. So... Very frequently, you will find these as weapons, which is why people always go straight to weapons. But uh, intelligent items are a role-playing tool and a game mechanic that most people completely overlook in games like D&D and Pathfinder. You might go your entire career and never see one of these items, which I think is a terrible tragedy. So today we're going to give people some help with how to work these items into your game, why you might do that, what the benefits are, and how to do it without causing problems. Awesome. Yeah, I think you highlighted a really awesome section from the PF2 Game Mastery Guide, and I think it's almost worth opening up with, because I think it really opens the eyes to, like, what is the power of bringing a sentient item into your game? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So so I'm going to read this word for word, because uh, someone smarter than me wrote this down for us. Uh, <laughs> introducing an intelligent item is an effective way to subtly alter the party dynamic. An intelligent item works well when its personality makes it a natural complement or foil for its partner, the PC investing, holding, or otherwise interacting with the item. An intelligent item that can communicate only with that particular PC is also a great way to engage players who are a bit quieter or those slower to speak in a scene where all the PCs can talk to a particular NPC. Due to their inherently limited agency, intelligent items are at less of a risk for stealing the spotlight than other NPCs who travel along with the party. Like, that neatly summarizes it. Like, it, it is, in a lot of ways, an NPC with very, very limited capacity to act, to communicate, and otherwise to cause problems. Yeah, I think that where I want to go immediately is let's talk about Gollum and the ring. Yeah, that's a good comparison. So <laughs> Gollum is a good example of an NPC in the party. Like, they, they are free to come and go, and, th- and Gollum frequently does. Uh, they are free to do anything that a creature with the body can do. Uh, they have their own will, they have their own goals, and that frequently conflicts with the party. And like in any given challenge, the party could reasonably be like, hey, we've got our golem and NPC right here. Why don't we just make him solve this problem for us? Because he's clearly better equipped than the party. <laughs> for, for like climbing walls and looking for fishes. Absolutely. But, but there's a certain amount of trust because ultimately like that creature can attack, it can do great harm. Versus if we take the ring as like a semi-sentient item, it does have a will of its own. There is some desire that it has, and it grants skills to its bearer. Um, but the party doesn't have to worry about the ring the same way the party has to worry about Gollum. Uh, and in interactions with, with other NPCs, 
the ring is much less likely to ruin that interaction versus Gollum asking what's in its pockets is. Yeah, and the other thing um, about the ring is uh, it is... Um, so I guess we have to describe what we mean by intelligent weapons because there can be like sentient weapons and intelligent weapons, I think. So like a sentient thing is, has, like, like you said, a will of its own, but doesn't necessarily have a voice or talk. just has a will and an agenda. But like an intelligent item might be able to talk. And for my mind, I feel like for that, a better example would be Jarvis before he became Vision uh, in, you know, Iron Man. How he was constantly talking back and forth with, uh, with Johnny Depp. He is an intelligent AI, but the concept is essentially still the same. John- Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp that I said, oh my God, I meant Robert <laughs> Downey Jr. All right, I got Johnny Depp on my mind because of the freaking trial. No, that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> my God. Oh. <laughs> There's this moment where I'm imagining uh, the Iron Man suit doing the like the drunk walk down the plank like oh yeah oh, but you have heard it yeah it's like it'd be great yeah stupid amber heard trial <laughs> oh, oof 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 um you know, I, one other thing i want to uh, comment you talked about like this intelligent item having the ability to speak uh quick yeah. taught me that the ability to speak does not make you intelligent true that is true <laughs> but uh it's like the, i don't know you mean uh, I, I guess it sounds better and nicer than just talky weapon. Or, oh, <laughs> talkative. <laughs> Actually, I guess, at least in 5e, that's a real thing, right? Like, you have to have an intelligence of three, five, seven? I think it's like six. I'm pretty sure <laughs> apes, apes yeah. have an intelligence of five, and I think they're like the smartest thing that doesn't speak a language. But there, there are a couple of creatures that have lower intelligence that understand a language but can't speak. Like but dogs. Like dogs. <laughs> I think Come they on. are all magical dogs now that I think about it. Like a blink dog? Uh, Tyler yeah, has a blink dog. I, I sure do. And we might hear him barking on one of our audio feeds tonight. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Perhaps more than one. <laughs> so some, some other cool examples of like sentient or intelligent items in let's go like broad media because i think one of the things that we can do both as players and as game masters is is think about how do these things impact the stories that we love and then are those the things that we want to bring into our game can we leverage the same techniques to make what we're doing interesting in our own tabletop games yeah so there's a lot of great examples we can draw from various media Video games are probably a, a good accessible example. Um, the The first one I came up with when we were writing down notes for this episode was the sword and Skyward Sword, because you have this weird uh, spirit woman who pops out of the hilt of your sword to give you hints. And uh, they, they very clearly wrote that character because they're like, okay, people were really annoyed by Navi in... Um, Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Thank you. Goodness. Uh, people really annoyed by Navi saying, hey, listen, all the time. So what if we, instead of just having her say, hey, listen, what if she also forcibly paused the game? Ugh. And made you take the hint. Yeah. It'd be a lot better. <laughs> so, boy, awful execution. But uh, the concept of, like, this, this intelligent thing lives in your sword can give you hints on how to, like, here's how you use all of your items, especially the sword, but otherwise doesn't really have any way to interact with the world. Decent example, kind of rough execution. And, and I will say, though, that, in my mind, is a fantastic reason for a game master to bring in an intelligent item. So I know I do this all the time. I think it's a pretty common trope, right? The NPC as the voice of the DM. You know, I don't want to literally just give everything to you, so I'm just going to have somebody come along and if you find yourself struggling, like this thing's going to, you know, like the old wizard who doesn't actually do anything, doesn't help during combat, is going to pick his head up occasionally and be like, oh, I remember a factoid that will help us here. And it's like, ah, great. Thanks, DM. And we get to move on by, by, by GM feet. I, I say that to say, like, they're doing the exact same thing. You are going to get stuck. You're going to forget the particular mechanics. So if you fail this three times, I'm going to make the sword spirit come out, stall you for 30 <laughs> seconds, and you're going to hate it. <laughs> yeah. Or if you know that your your party is going to make some bad decisions, you could just have a weapon and go, Hey, that seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, did anybody forget the lava? You, you all forgot the lava, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, so there's, some, there's some other like less in-your-face examples. Um, 
the Borderlands game franchise has a few weapons that will talk to you. And I, I realize we're talking dungeon fantasy. So the uh, crazy space madness that is Borderlands kind of a weird comparison, but uh, there's at least one gun. And I think Borderlands two that generally complains about your behavior and just tells you you're bad at every opportunity. The sole purpose of this weapon is for comedic relief. It's a decent gun when you get it, if I remember right, but it's like, ah, if you were better at this, you wouldn't need to reload. And other such advice. Well, it's not such a terrible example because uh, Borderlands did come out with uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which is basically D&D, but as told by Tiny Tina. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have to look into that one. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, that feels right. I don't know if it's on the list. It's on a list. Certainly. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. But it's a it's a good example of an item that has like very limited function. It is intelligent. The players will get some novelty out of it. And like in in D&D, you might reasonably carry that around for a super long time. And every once in a while, you're like, OK, we need to solve this one problem. Uh, we're going to have to deal with the uh, the intelligent chime of opening that tells us that we're bad every time we have to pick a lock. <laughs> it's like it doesn't you have suck. to come up all the time, but you've always got that there as a storytelling device in the back pocket. So if you as the DM are just like, I really want to pull this out to bother the players, just put a door in front of them that they can't pick for some reason. I actually have a story about this uh, because uh, when I was running my evil campaign, uh, I let people pick a very rare item if they wanted to, but in exchange, that item would be cursed, and I wouldn't tell them what the curse was. So for my friend, he wanted this really powerful weapon. I forget what it was. But basically what I came up with was that, well, me and uh, Colby, because we were running at the same time, uh, was that every time he missed, an imp would appear on his shoulder and talk, and talk smack about him, about how bad he was. And it really started to irritate him. And I was just like, you wanted this. You agreed to this. Yeah, you can put it down. You can walk away. Yeah, you can just leave the sword. And he didn't use that sword a lot as a result. It was a really good sword. Like, you know, you're going to the boss fight. It finally comes out of the bag of holding. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I had a, a similar item. So Azure Edge is a uh, intelligent item brought up in... Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I ran a game in that setting, but I did not run that module, but I brought Azure Edge in. One of the things that Tyler read to us earlier from the PF2 Game Mastery Guide was this idea that if you have a particular character, or I shouldn't say character, but a particular player who isn't as likely to speak, a great way to get them in on the conversation and kind of motivate them to speak, give them the opportunity where otherwise they'd probably rather just sit back and let other people drive things, is to give them a sentient weapon. Uh, so I did this, and if anything was important came up, I tended to run it through that player, or through that player character in this case. Um, but more generally, I used the sentient item to constantly heckle the party every chance that I got. So it was, it was kind of a double-edged sword. It, it, well, it was an axe, but it was a double-edged axe. <laughs> ah, very funny, very funny. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm here for. Uh, and, and yeah, it was wonderful to both, like, drive getting that player more engaged on a regular basis as well as occasionally just you know give crap to the players yeah. i remember that item that was a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the lawful good sentient item in the party of uh, chaotic neutral murder hobos yeah it was a hundred percent a murder hobo set where their, their mission was to save water deep from the zombie apocalypse and uh they weren't into it like, they were going along, but it wasn't necessarily their big thing. So then have, having this item be like, look, I'm really powerful, and I would like to save the city. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it was definitely helpful. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to pull out my favorite intelligent item of all time. The electric potato herself. GLaDOS. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's another I, excellent example. Like, I, you know, okay, I'm going I'm to throw out two out here because I really, I feel like they're the same character just at different points in their life. Cortana and Gladys. Right? Yeah. They're, they're both AIs. Their voices driving the character's actions and occasionally driving them crazy. Yeah, that, uh, that's a really good comparison. Like, that while they are with the player, they have extremely limited agency. 
Like they can talk, they can offer insight and opinions. They have a personality, they have goals. Um, but basically they can't do anything on their own because they don't have a body. Uh, but yeah, the, like those, those two AIs are both generally considered more intelligent than the player. Yeah. Uh, and also I think they're both driving the character towards doing something because without that motivation i think in both instances the characters be like i mean can i just walk around like kill things or go through portals (laughs) can i walk around shoot my gun that works for both of them how about that (laughs) and they're both uh villains at various points i believe like doesn't cortana go bad at some point in the later games i mean spoiler for like an eight-year-old game at this point but yeah in the later (laughs) games there's this problem with uh was it i think they called it degeneracy but it was basically uh a a mechanism for describing why this beloved character would be going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, sorry. I, I've read a bunch of the Halo novels. I was really into it for a while. The So it's rampancy. The, rampancy the smart AI would last about 20 years. And then basically all of its idle time was spent thinking about like existence in a meta sense. And they would gradually think themselves insane. So you had smart AI like Cortana that had like a very specific shelf life before they had to get before they generally went crazy and had to be replaced. And then you had dumb AI, which was like intelligent enough. It was like an intelligent talking Wikipedia, basically, but it didn't it didn't have like freedom of thought. Um, and dumb AI was used in like certain equipment, like you'd have uh, like a GPS thing for your squad of soldiers and be like, it has a dumb AI. So it'll like relay orders and figure out like routes and stuff for you and offer insight. But it wasn't smart enough to be like, I have real opinions about things. Uh, but yeah, I, I, smart AI Cortana, think yourself crazy. Yeah. Knowledge engine versus like true intelligence. Yeah, exactly. Neat. Yeah. yeah, so so I feel like like GLaDOS, GLaDOS and Cortana both, right? Those are fantastic ways of bringing a character into a game for the sole purpose of guiding the players and providing the additional facts, you know, for a, for a game master as the voice of a GM. So I think there's a lot that we could take away from that to bring into our own games. For sure. Well, one of my favorites and something that I think you should probably avoid using in D&D is uh, the prototype medic power armor in Fallout 3. This is a real deep cut, but uh, their voice was great. Like, they're, this is medic 2 power armor. Um, very Arlie Ermy. But the thing that you probably want to avoid with intelligent, weapon, uh, intelligent items was what this thing would do. It wouldn't let you stealth. Like, if you were stealthing and close to an enemy, it would give you away your position by going, ooh! and stuff like that (laughs) so i think if you want your players to hate you then yeah you can do that but i wouldn't recommend it i'm imagining the rogue like going out ahead in the paladin wearing the armor (laughs) i guess every time they crit fail you could be like your your uh your uh sword just gets really exciting goes let's get some So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, let's look at some mechanics of these things. I feel like we've uh, we've set the stage. We've given some good examples. Let's look at how we actually do this. So, D and D. I'm I'm only familiar with the mechanics back to third edition. So, third edition and fifth edition and Pathfinder first edition. Like all um, intelligent items have ability scores like like a humanoid would they don't have strength and dexterity because they can't move but they'll they'll at the very least have intelligence wisdom charisma and that kind of helps form their personality at a super basic level they'll generally also have senses and uh, they'll have an alignment because they're intelligent and have a personality and some items can have a special purpose which is like whatever the item was built for like we brought up azer edge earlier if i remember right azer edge's whole thing was protect water deep and also dwarves something like that uh yeah that's about right uh definitely to protect the water deep something about the dwarves <laughs> yeah so, so your your intelligent item in D will have like ability scores which influence what it's capable of doing how smart it is those things um it'll have an alignment and a purpose which will tell you like who who created this and why like so you might have a chaotic evil sword that is built for the purpose of like destroying some city or 
like a a neutral sickle made by a druid and its whole deal is it wants to kill a particular weed or something dumb like that like there's a lot of flexibility here yeah for sure um in so in these systems magic items can also frequently attempt to influence the behavior of whoever's using them which is this is where intelligent items can either be a problem or can be a, a whole bunch of fun depending on the item um so items with higher charisma in 5e can generally influence the wielder more because it's an opposed charisma check. In 3x, uh, items had an ego score, quote-unquote, which is like some combination of the things that the item could do. Basically, the more powerful it was, the more of an ego it had, and it would use that ego score to try and influence the player. And if the player lost badly enough or if they lose badly enough in 5e, um, the item could essentially just dominate the player and say like, okay, I am now driving your body for a few minutes while we do some stuff. And you're just going to have to deal with that. It's like intelligent items always have this ability in 5e. It might not be super easy for them, especially if the item has poor charisma and the player has really good charisma. But that threat there like creates this interesting dynamic, especially when the player and the item have like opposing goals. Like if I have that chaotic evil sword that wants to burn down the city and I'm the protector of the city, it's like, ah, we're going to have a fun time here. Yeah. Yeah. The item that comes immediately to mind is the sword of Cass or Koss or however you pronounce it, where if you draw it and you don't immediately bathe it in blood, you have to do a charisma check or it dominates you until you bathe it in blood. Oh, yeah. Um, and I know that there's... <laughs> if only you version. and your friends are in the room. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No. We actually saw that in Critical Role with Grog. Uh, spoilers. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think also lawful sword, like, good swords can also do that. Like, if you start doing evil enough deeds, it'll be like, okay, I'm taking over, so... so we're we're going to put a stop to this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so Azeroth in particular, so its thing was if you try to control it against its will, and against its will would be if you were probably doing something against the city of Waterdeep itself, uh, it had the ability to become 10 times heavier than normal, and it could magically adhere to any medium or larger object or surface that it comes in contact with. So even if you were strong enough to pick it up, if it hit, let's say, a wall or anything like that of the sword and it wasn't happy with you as a wielder, it could literally just stick to it. And now you're hosed. Just so imagine the, that in the middle of a fight. The Mjolnir solution is like, ah, I've decided you're not worthy. You can't pick me up now. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. <laughs> so Pathfinder 2E has uh, some rules for intelligent weapons, or in, sorry, intelligent items. And uh, they're weirdly shallow for, for PF2. Like, I, I say this a lot, but PF2 very very frequently takes a mechanic that just doesn't work in 5e and is just like, here's this extremely robust mechanical system that we have built. Um, this is one of those bits of PF2 where it was basically forgotten. Like, we get like a page and a half of text on how intelligent items work, and none of that explains how to actually create one yourself. So... There are some cool things in there. Um, the tools chapter in the Game Mastery Guide has a list of item quirks that you can use, and it's uh, it's basically just a, a huge table of weird stuff that you can make a magic weapon do. And in, in PF2, which is a game where you accumulate like a huge number of magic items, you're expected to have up to 10 generally. Uh, you don't want to put these quirks on everything, but if you're going to bother making an item intelligent, maybe give it a cool quirk. Like, as an example, uh, the item gets hungry and you have to feed it wood shavings. Like, that's that's one of the things on the table. <laughs> yeah. So, like... I love that. Yeah, you can, like, you can use this table, you can roll on it randomly and come up with weird stuff to put on a magic item. Um, and, yeah, for, for intelligent items where you want to give it a personality, giving it a quirk or two is a really great way to make it feel unique. And, and some of these quirks will actually be like awesome storytelling device. So one of them, it's the, the title of the quirk is Lucid. Creatures asleep within 10 feet see the item in their dreams. That's unsettling. <laughs> well, but yeah, imagine using that as a storytelling device where occasionally, uh, <laughs> like the sword appears or the shield appears 
in the players' dreams and all the players' dreams, and they each have to deal with like having this dream. <laughs> but, like you, you don't want to beat the players over the head with it. But having that occasionally, it's like, hey, we're heading to something pretty big. You feeling good about it? Yeah, I was trying to sleep though. I'm gonna wake up rested. I hear what you're saying. Uh, let's go over the game plan one more time. No, you're a shield. Let me go back to sleep. Like that. <laughs> that could be a lot of fun. Um, it, it gets to the point where they actually put the the item in a bag of holding just so it's actually not technically <laughs> nearby. <laughs> that would work. Um, a, another one, which you know, if you're right, if you have somebody who doesn't love bugs, insect attracting. Uh, harmless insects swarm around it. Does emotional harm count? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Harm- harmless is carrying a lot of weight there. I would consider, in the right <laughs> circumstances, like, oh, you want to make an intimidation check? Let's do it. Oh. <laughs> um, so the PF2 rules also have a little bit of text implying that uh, it, creatures with poor will saves are more vulnerable to being taken over by the intelligent item. But there's also no rules in PF2 for how intelligent items take over a player. So, like, there's clearly some text missing there. Maybe yeah. we'll get that corrected someday. Who knows? Um, Tyler, I believe it involves a will save. I, I would assume so. It sure <laughs> does. Um, I'm going to make a reflex save to have my sword not take over my body. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my instinct. <sighs> to, to, to not do that. Yes. You can't possess me if you're over there. <laughs> so, the, the item has like uh, you know the boomerang effect where when you throw it, it comes back to your hand. And it's like ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, wh- why don't we talk about making some intelligent items? And I don't mean like your character crafting a magic item. Like let's say you are a a real world person and you are designing an intelligent item that you want to bring into your game in some fashion. Let's go through how we do that. Cause uh, the rules aren't super specific in 5e or PF2. And I think we can offer some advice here. So the first thing you want to start with is what is the item going to be? Uh, the vast majority of intelligent items I've seen are weapons. And like, that's an easy thing to do because you know, it, it feels very heroic to have an intelligent weapon and take that into battle and do stuff with it. Um, there are some intelligent shields that I can think of. Um, and then generally in terms of, like, official published examples, that's kind of where the list ends. But, I mean, there's a huge laundry list of items that we could use. Why can't they be intelligent? Like, yeah, 100%. I think a really uh, an interesting way that... Uh, uh, item that you could use for uh, an sentient item would be uh, either a spellcasting foci or a spell book. Um, I know that they do this in NADPOD in like the most recent arc. Uh, um, the witch, uh, Emily Axford's character, has a sentient spell book. Um, and it's kind of a comical personality. He's like a worry word dad kind of spell book. But you could, uh, I think... It would be interesting, but even you don't have to make it comical. Like you can make it serious, like a relationship that a person has with their spell book could be uh, really interesting. It's sort of like the relationship that witches have with their familiar, except if your familiar could talk, which I suppose you could also do. <laughs> In my general opinion, um, armor is also a <laughs> think long and hard about doing intelligent armor. Uh, yeah, think long and hard about whether or not you want to deal with the social implications of wearing an intelligent creature. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it sounds great. Like, what's the problem? What are we stuck on? (laughs) Uh, Well, Randall, uh, I'm going to put you on as socks, and then we're going (laughs) to... No, but like, if if this is what I'm made into, if this is my shape, I might as well fulfill my purpose. What is my purpose? (laughs) If your socks, it's keeping my toes warm. I guess you could also make that into comedy, but be like, hey, can you wash me out because you stink? You stink really bad. I don't have noses, and even I can can tell that you are just rancid, dude. (laughs) Why why am I wetter on the inside than the outside? What is happening here? And then, like, I, I'm sure glad I could be your faceplate. Uh, not a single one of those sword strikes got past me. Yeah, and that's the other thing. You also have to deal with like uh, that you're holding a sentient person in front of you uh, to like shield you from blows. So every time you get hit, it's like, ow, ow, 
Ow. <laughs> it's getting yeah. real hot in here. Maybe we, maybe. but I mean, but here's the deal. Like if you flip that on its head, like let's say it's my sword and I'm running around with this intelligent sword, I'm constantly just banging it into things. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, some, that's its thing. Some swords are into that. Like the sword <laughs> of gas. Yeah. Really like, really like stabbing things. I mean, that's fair. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we get some armor. <laughs> that, oh, that'd be terrible. That'd be so terrible. <laughs> no, you think of that. Oh God. <laughs> All right. So, I've got my armor, and if it takes over, it runs into battle. Like, it takes the joy <laughs> of battle. But the problem is, I'm a bard, and not, like, the fighty, like, stab people bard. Like, hide in the back and, like, offer haste. You know? <laughs> I was only here for the inspiration. But every time I fail in combat, or every time I fail a, a roll against this thing, I am forced into the middle of combat. <laughs> I mean, that is interesting. If we have a sadist sword, we should have a masochistic armor. A hundred percent. Hit me more! Hit me more! It's like, I didn't even know taunt. <laughs> well, there's our inspiration, I guess. So that's going to happen. Yes, a masochistic armor. Let's do it. Let's make it. Uh, but it'll be really good armor, like in its defense. Yeah, really good. Uh, it uh, also... Like- Slightly cursed in that you can't just take it off. I, th- that's, a, that's always a classic curse. You can't take it off or put it down or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We could make this really power, powerful armor. Like maybe like uh, Tony Stark power armor level of armor. <laughs> it's, a, it's a powered suit. When I think of an intelligent weapon, I try to think of four things about that item. Like we've decided what the item is going to be. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a, a set of armor. Maybe it's a shield or whatever. Uh, so four P's, power, personality, progenitor, and purpose. And that's right. I cracked open a thesaurus and looked up a synonym for creators so I could make these all <laughs> P words. Good, good. I, I like your energy. Yes. <laughs> what else was I going to do with my day? Um, <laughs> so power is generally the first one that people will think of. It's what does this item do? Do. like what are its stats um if you're gonna do 5e or 3x it's gonna have intelligence wisdom charisma i honestly can't remember if they have constitution and 3x i should have looked that one up shame on me but um, here we pretty, are <laughs> here we are so in addition to those ability scores like the item is an it's still a uh, magic item it's going to have stats of some kind like your your hyper intelligent wizard wand is still going to be like Maybe it's a one of the War Mage plus one or something like that. So figure out what those stats are for your magic item. And if you if you just want to put intelligence onto an existing magic item, that's perfectly fine. Like a plus one wand of the War Mage, still a pretty decent piece of loot for a lot of casters. So just, yes, slap intelligence onto that if you need to. And I, I really don't want to downplay that. Like if, if the idea, if your goal in adding a sentient item into your game is to give a voice of the GM 100% take a well-balanced item that belongs in your party today and slap onto it the ability to occasionally offer things that are going to help the party move forward. Like, that's a perfectly wonderful way for introducing this without worrying about misbalancing and, like, breaking combat from here to the end of time. It also makes it hard for the party to justify throwing the item away if it gets annoying. Like, if your warlock has a plus one wand of the war mage, they're real happy Eldritch blasting things with that plus one to hit. And they're unlikely to give that up, even if the personality of the item is mildly inconvenient. Yeah. You got to make people want the item, especially if you want it to stick around. Yeah. I, I think the other thing, though, is like make it very clear or at least have the item lie about it. Like, you know, my name is MacGuffin and I am required <laughs> to advance the story. So you probably should keep me with you. Yeah, no, exactly. And at the same time, it's probably a good idea to have the item's effects be useful enough that the party wants to actively use the item. The only intelligent item I've ever received as a player was a a magic longsword, which was great for the character. But the problem is, I already had a better magic longsword than the one I got. So the new longsword had two things about it. It was a plus three sword, and this was in 3x, so like, good but not amazing uh, and once per day could cast true resurrection on the wielder Ooh. which is real nice if you uh it was a single like it was a single player campaign so if i died i was dead without this thing um 
So it it saved my life a couple times, but all it did was hang out on my back and uh, offer encouragement, and once in a while it would resurrect me. Sometimes that's all you need for my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We call that friend Cleric. True. (laughs) (laughs) So, So the second P you want to hit is personality. Like, we've given this thing stats. We have declared it intelligent. We have given it some function that it does. What is this thing's personality? And previous episode was creating good characters, and a lot of that same advice applies here. Like the traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, those are all still good things that you can use for your sword. And like if you sword for your intelligent item, um, and if you want to fit everything you need to know about this intelligent item into a small format, like you can grab an index card and on one side, like write uh plus three sword draw a stick figure of it and on the back like trait ideal bond flaw there's your intelligent item the the pf2 item quirks are a great way to flesh this out a little more you can make it do something weird um we talked uh, about a couple of the quirks earlier like the one where it pops into your dreams randall you suggested a shield talking to people and offering battle advice while they're sleeping yes absolutely i love that All right, so I want to take the next P here. Um, Progenitor. Uh, Congratulations to you, kind sir, for bringing that word to us so that we could keep this four piece. (laughs) I think this could actually be really interesting if you can fit it into the story that you're trying to tell or into the module that you're running. So this thing was created. Um, Why shouldn't it be created by the same forces that have set whatever thing you're working through in motion? Um, going back to some of the examples we gave early on, like one of the coolest things for GLaDOS um, was the reveal that she was originally uh, in, you know, Portal and Portal 2 spoilers for, for those at home. So earmuffs, if you're worried, the big reveal was that she was actually the secretary of the guy who, Cave uh, uh, Johnson, the guy who created the facility that you're working in. And they didn't finish the ability to, you know, digitize and turn a real human being into an AI before he died from, you know, cancerous chemicals that he created himself. So eh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and so like towards, towards the end of, I think portal two, there's this speech of, it's like, you know, if I don't make it, I want you to put Carol in here. Cause you know, she's the heart and soul of this place. And if anybody can keep it going forever, it's going to be her. Uh, and it's like, oh, you're not just this obnoxious robot who's trying to kill me. You were a real person who loved this facility and really wanted it to run well. And then you took it to an extreme. <laughs> um, but I say that to say, like, that's a fantastic example of progenitor. You know, we, we talked about Azeredge. Uh, the, the soul in Azeredge was a person who loved Waterdeep. Um, I forget all of the details, literally all of the details except for that. But, right, this, this character who is long since dead was put into the, uh, into the ax so that the ax could protect water deep for all time. That's a cool origin story. And it kind of fits in motivating the personality of the ax and how it chooses a wielder, you know, basically everything about it kind of comes from that time. So I really think if you're making your own magic item, getting this right and making it matter can make it more meaningful to your players. So that your players are more excited to keep uh, this item around. And it can also be, you know, I, I used MacGuffin lightly a second ago, but I, I, I almost want to flip that on its head. It could really be a key part of the story that finding it is critical and then keeping it alive around and on your side is also critical. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that you can turn an item from a MacGuffin into an, into an actual meaningful thing because the problem with MacGuffins is that they're just an object that people want. But it's different when it's a when it's an object that people want that also has a personality. I mean, there are human MacGuffins, but those are those usually are flat characters. So if you make this character interesting, then you can uh, you can take what you would originally conceive of as a MacGuffin for your campaign and make it into something interesting. And uh, I do think progenitors are really important, just like your progenitor is really important, your parents. You can think of a creator of a magic weapon as sort of a parent for that, for that item. Um, and maybe, uh, you could have an entire quest arc where you try to track down the creator of a certain item and that can inform how you view that item. Okay. No, you've just motivated me, motivated me to another item and I want to get this out here real quick. Okay. Go for it. it is, it is a wooden armor 
including a face shield. Um, but it's actually incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, its desire is to become a real person. Are you making Pinocchio? <laughs> maybe. maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, the, the negative, the flaw, every time you lie, the nose on the face mask gets longer. Yeah, no, it's a bit <laughs> Yeah, you got me. Okay. <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun. It would. <laughs> it would be fun. <laughs> Until somebody cast fireball. <laughs> what would happen when it became a real human and you were inside of it, though? We don't talk about that. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, you know, it's it's weaving like the meta of what's happening in real life. You know, occasionally you play campaigns and you add somebody to the campaign part of the way through. It's like, congratulations, buddy, you get to come in, but you have to play the real boy. <laughs> We're just going to take the armor off. We're going to put it over here. It's going to stand up. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, Lord. No, you're a, uh, 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 yeah, 5e. What is it in 5e? Warforged? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. You're a Warforged. Oh, 100%. There you go. Yeah. There you, go. Uh, you know, I, I almost ran a campaign and almost got off the ground. Like I released monstrous races a couple of years back and my friends were like, we need to play this. Um, Rocco, who now writes for the site, wanted to play an awakened swarm of animals that occupied a suit of armor. <laughs> So I I wrote a template specifically for this character to allow a swarm to inhabit armor like a mech. So it's kind of it's kind of the exact opposite concept. But if you took the intelligent armor, it's like here's this intelligent armor occupied by intelligent squirrels. And at some point, if we need like a guest character, the intelligent armor will go wander around for a little bit. We'll have a separate intelligent swarm of squirrels. Okay, so it's like the episode of episode of Futurama where Bender kept dividing himself in two over and over again until they ate part of the world, and then they created a giant Bender robot out of the very tiny Benders, and then all those tiny Benders fought... The giant. Yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Fought the giant, uh, and then they destroyed each other. That sounds yes. right. Perfect. I love that. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> that, boy, the show notes are going to be weird today. Yeah, absolutely. We should... <laughs> Monstrous Races, uh, by the way, available on the DMs Guild. Still a cool book. If you weren't aware, Tyler Kamstra wrote a book, an entire book. I uh, sure so, did. Yeah, what you do, you took the Monster Manual, the original Monster Manual, you took every monster from the Monster Manual, and you created a playable race from that monster. Yeah, the, nice. there's also rules for building your own races. Like, the race design in 5e has evolved a bit, so, like... Custom origin rules will cause some mayhem there, but it's still a lot of fun, and a lot of the races are still fun to play. Like, hey, if you want to play a level one Tarask fighter, that's an option. <laughs> yeah, or, like, instead of being Dragonborns, like, why, like, let's go all the way. Like, what if, you know, I've got a party of five, we're each going to play a metallic dragon, and it's going to be amazing. I, I would um, love that game. I feel like we've actually, you know, we've been doing this for almost a year. We've literally never talked about the book. So I'm glad you brought it really? up. I, yeah. I really do not think we have. Huh. Okay. So, hey, link in the show notes, folks. It's available on DM Skill. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get back to the topic on hand. Hey, <laughs> why um, the the purpose of your magic item? Yeah, why is not a P? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the purpose of this item. Why does it exist? Presumably, your your progenitor created this item with some kind of purpose. Uh. And that purpose should, in some ways, inform this item's personality and behavior. Now, it's like you can play against type and be like, here's the the plus two sword of burning down this one city. And maybe the sword has a change of heart. It's like, ah, what if I didn't? But the, the purpose for which the item was created can still offer some insight into how it behaves how it's used. It, it might even inform like, hey, what powers do I want to give this thing? So you might jump around in these steps. You're like, ah, if it's a sword of burning down this one city, maybe it does fire damage. I don't know. Um, the, the 5e rules for creating magic items has a table of special purposes, which is a great starting point, but definitely go beyond the table because like a, a table of example options can never quite capture the nuance that you likely want for this item. Yeah, I feel you like in, in this case, the what the table really does is it gets the creative juices flowing. It gives you a good basey, 
basic. Perfect. It gives you a good basis for like what you could do uh, and then allows you to build, build on top of that, like to really fit the story that you're trying to tell. All right. So the four P's power. What does this thing do? Personality. What is this thing like? Progenitor. Who made this and purpose for what Whoa. purpose did the progenitor make this? Yeah. All right. Do you folks want to try to make an item? I feel like we've kind of been doing it throughout, but I, I think it'd be yes. a lot of fun. Yeah, let's, let's make it. an item. Okay. I Who have wants... tables that I can roll on for us as well. Oh, do it, do it. <laughs> I love a random table. That's great. Um, All right. So what are we thinking in terms of like what kind of item are we making? I have an item already that I'm going to bring to the team. Um, okay. Do you want me to roll that out or do we want to roll on the table first? I, I like tables. Personally. Okay, let's sure. roll on the table. Let's do this. Go, go, yeah. go. Well, first we have to figure out what item we're making sentient because I don't have a table oh, for okay. that. All right, so R- Randall, what item should we make sentient? Uh, I, okay, with all the discussion that we've had for it, boots. B- boots? Okay, now here's a question. A pair of boots, is it one sentient item or is it two and do they have different personalities? That is a wonderful question. I did not consider it when I brought this up. Uh, or is their brain divided between the two bo- boots? What happens if you separate the boots and it's one intelligence? Uh, they suffer and they might even break. Yeah, okay. I like this. All right, so uh, one, one personality in a pair of boots and it does not like to be separated. Got it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Let's see if how it communicates then first. Uh, oh. It can talk. Oh. And it can read and understand one more language. Okay. All right. So it can talk, but it can only say the words flip and flop. (laughs) I love it. Flip, flop. What's its alignment? Let's see. Okay. Oh, I want to add to this. The boots are all like janky. And so they're, you know how like if you rip the front of a shoe, it actually looks like a mouth that's talking? Yeah. That's what they look like all the time. (laughs) Just toes hanging out. Yeah. Hey, no, hey, don't don't put that your foot's not gonna fit in here. Get get it out. <laughs> so I just rolled this these boots are chaotic good. Okay. So that makes sense. Sense. chaotic good bit. talking boots. Like okay. a flip flop. Yeah, they'll and kick then... they'll kick evil people, but occasionally they'll tie themselves together when you walk. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, okay, so let, let's go with the 5e method. Let's give this thing some ability scores. So in 5e, you do the uh, 4d6, drop the lowest for ability scores. So who's got dice handy? I've got dice. Um, I've got some easy roller dice. All right. Let's see. It's, uh... Oh, okay. So that's going to be uh, uh, 14. For the okay, first. so we'll say 14 intelligence. All right. right. Let me give you a set with the easy rollers. Go for it. What'd you get? I got a 10. Okay. So 14 intelligence, 10 wisdom, and I got a 12 for charisma. So this thing is smart, slightly charming, but average wisdom. Perfect. Okay. Well, you know, it got turned into boots or it is boots. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, boy, there's a question you should ask. Was this a person before it was a magic item? What do we think? Uh, Uh, well i guess we have to are we ready to nail down our progenitor is that is that the stage we're at well uh i do want to say that i rolled for its purpose okay Uh, good good yeah what's the purpose it is a glory seeker which means this item seeks renown as the greatest magic item in the world by establishing its user as a famous or notorious figure interesting okay Mm -hmm. okay okay so let's ask the question do we want to talk about who created the boots or do we want to talk about what they do for the wielder Okay, so I, I feel like we can jump around a whole bunch because you sure. don't need to do all the P's in order because, you know, they're going to inform yeah. other decisions. So if it's a glory seeker, it's going to do something that makes the wielder awesome. And the Super progenitor speed. probably either made this for someone to make them to make them awesome or made it for themselves to make them awesome. What about flying boots? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Chaotic, no, good, yeah. intelligent, really, flying really boots. Good. And I'm going to say that uh, someone like a Hermes-inspired character made them. <laughs> Her- Hermes, the uh, Greek deity? The, the, yeah, the Greek god. Okay, no, cool. the accountant from Futurama. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Hermes Conrad. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the bonuses, really good at the limbo. 
<laughs> I actually kind of like that a lot. Yeah. It's just write it in, write it in. Might as well. They make you fly, and you have advantage on checks to limbo. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Do we want to roll some magical properties for this thing? Well, okay, yeah. Want, now, oh wait, I, I, I want to ask you a question real quick, and I want to know: Do you think this is oping it too much? So, let's say you get like a twenty or a thirty foot uh, flying speed. Do we also want to give like a plus ten to ground speed? Or is that too much? I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, an artifact uh, level weapon or item. Yeah. Uh, gosh, what rarity are flying boots? Remind me. I want to say rare. I think they're rare, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, a plus 10 foot bonus to your move speed isn't going to break anything. Um, there aren't a lot of magic items that do that, but I mean, long striders like a second level spell. It's not going to, it's not going to hurt. So the winged boots allow you to fly for up to four hours all at once or several shorter flights. Uh, and that's an uncommon item. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, sure. Let's give a plus 10, plus 10 ground speed, too. Yeah. yeah okay. No burrow so, speed, though. We're not going to be ridiculous here. Oh, well, if I fly straight down fast enough. Yeah, yeah, burrow with your face. That's that's <laughs> that's the other item we need to make is mole feet. Anyway, keep going. Oh, okay. Uh, so in terms of uh, magic properties, uh, we have minor benefits, uh, major benefits, and we have detriments. How many of each do we want to give? The, do we want any detriments or just all good? Uh, let's let's go for one of each just to show it off a little bit. But sure, yeah. yeah. All right. So minor beneficial properties. Let's see, got a 75, which is, uh, okay, while attuned to the artifact, you can use an action to cast one second level spell chosen by the DM. After you cast a spell, roll a d6. On a roll of one and five, you, one to five, you can't cast it again until the next dawn. Interesting. Uh, okay, so if we want this thing to be a glory seeker, I feel like it should be something heroic, like, a, oh, well, hey, how about heroism? Is that a second level spell? It's first level, but we could upcast it. That's true. Yeah. You and a buddy. Perfect. That's perfect. I like that. That's great. Um, okay, major ma- magical benefit. Uh, 98. Ooh. That's a good number. Yeah. <laughs> While attuned to the artifact, you can't be blinded, deafened, petrified, or stunned. Well, have, yeah, that's real good. And hey, having any of those things happen to you, not super heroic. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't want to interfere with your heroism and glory. Yeah. And All it right, prevents so. other people from interfering as well. Exactly. <laughs> so, detriment time. Let's see what we got. 32. While attuned to the artifact, all holy water within 10 feet of you is destroyed. Interesting. Oh. <laughs> We're getting to a progenitor. Yeah. I would say. So, it, okay. So, it's a glory seeking item that it destroys makes you holy water. It, it makes you, you can fly. You can fly. You're immune to a bunch of status conditions. You can cast heroism, which gives you temporary hit points and makes you immune to fear. Um, it's got high intelligence, okay charisma, and not a ton of wisdom. So I'm going to say whoever created this was like Artificer, uh, Eldritch Knight, Wizard, one of those. I'm thinking. Like, Eldritch Knight feels very good for this. I just, so I have a thought. This is, um, maybe this is an atheistic wizard, or a wizard who hates, like, organized religion. There <laughs> so you go. he's like, I want, I want people to, sh- I, want, I want to make a hero who isn't beholden to the gods. Because, you know, there's always, everybody's like, oh, the gods chose this guy. No, definitely not that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, all right, so major detrimental properties. Okay, wait, I, I, I want to toss this in right quick. Uh, how does Strahd feel about holy water? Probably doesn't he like it a whole lot. Doesn't like it, no. Doesn't like it at all? Okay. What if a vampire created these boots, and it's actually the origin of the myth for vampires having a flying speed? Oh, that's, that's interesting. Interesting. Well, this might, this might clinch it because I just rolled a really interesting major detriment. Okay. Uh, so, nine, while you are tuned to the artifact, you determine your alignment daily at dawn by rolling a d6 twice. On the first roll, a 1 to 2 indicates lawful. 
three to four indicates neutral, or a five to six indicates chaotic. On the second roll, one to two indicates good, three to four indicates neutral, and five to six evil. Wow, so your alignment just flies all over the place. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, How okay. do we justify this? Okay, I think it would actually be fun, instead of the player having that manifest, what if the item has that? And then the player just has to adjust. So oh, one day the boots are like, like let's save that orphanage. And then you take a nap in the orphanage and it wakes up and it's like, burn it down. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. What if, um, <laughs> ooh, what if the boots have different conflicting personalities in it? It's, so who's winning today? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, a, a, a pair of boots with uh, multiple personality disorder. Now, I, I would be, like, if we were going to go with boots that argue with themselves, um, I would probably make them either, like, a very minor magic item that doesn't have a whole lot of effects, because then you could just use it for comedic relief, or I would use that in a very small party. Otherwise, like, you're going to take a lot of spotlight time having shoes argue with each other. For sure, for yeah. sure. Uh. uh so if, if you really only wanted it to be funny and you only wanted to bring it in, what if once you put feet in them, they couldn't talk anymore? <laughs> so it's the whole, like, I take my boots off to sleep. And so when we go to sleep at night and we wake up in the morning, I have to deal with these two shenanigans. And the rest of the time, I just get to fly around and be awesome. <laughs> uh, I think at that point, I would just carry mannequin legs around and just put them in the boots, just to keep them quiet. <laughs> It's like, I need a woodworker to make me one of those beet tree things. Not a beet tree, like, you know, uh, I want to do cool stuff, but literally I want to stick something in these uh, shoes. <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I'm going to bring in the PF2 item quirks table because I still think this is really fun. So yes. each of you roll me a D10. Okay. 50. Or, sorry. <laughs> we'll make that the first digit. Five. Five, that's what I meant. I rolled a D100 instead. <laughs> A one. Okay, 51. So that gets us the hair-altering quirk. The user's hair color changes. There's no further detail given to that. So, you know what? Let's just lean into the chaos. What if it's randomly determined every day? It's like, you put on the boots in the morning. The boots randomly determine their alignment. Your hair color changes to match. How about that? So, like, each alignment has a matching hair color. Like the rest of the party is just, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> the boots chose murder this morning. <laughs> if you're neutral evil, maybe it's just, like, black and, just, uh, and it's covering one eye. It's like, oh, let's do this. <laughs> mustache inexplicably curls into handlebars. <laughs> where, where did you get eyeliner? It's 4 o'clock in the morning or in the middle of a dungeon. <laughs> Don't think about it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Much like Tobey Maguire in uh, Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is a sentient magic item. The the Venom suit. Yeah. In, in that particular movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dang, we should have thought of that as an example earlier in the episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like an have. Eldritch tattoo, but... Okay, so we have our item. It's a pair of... It, it is a pair of paired boots that either share a personality or have two... In distinct personalities that don't get along. Mm -hmm. um, it is the base item is winged boots, but it can also cast heroism at second level once per day. It's Unless got, it does the fail shenanigan. Uh... Yeah, uh, it's got fourteen intelligence, ten wisdom, twelve charisma. So it's smart, slightly charming, not real, like not really with it. Uh, the alignment and your hair color are determined at random every morning. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, Ash, remind me the, the, uh, stuff we rolled on the artifact tables, which we also should have called out, Hey, you don't have to reserve those just for artifacts. Use them whenever you want. Um, the, the, which one, the detrimental or the beneficial properties? Both. Uh, oh, so you can't be blinded, deafened, petrified, or stunned. Um, it allows you to cast a spell. You already mentioned the changing, uh, of your, uh, or changing of the alignment. And then what was the other one? Uh, um, oh, yeah, destroys all holy water. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so, so we have this item that has some really cool effects, makes you fly, cast heroism, 
we talked about maybe a plus 10 foot move speed bonus makes you immune to a bunch of conditions like these are good boots for a fighter looking to go out and play the hero like you're immune to petrification i'm gonna go fight a medusa like these are yeah. cool boots but you might also wake up in the morning with chaotic evil boots and crazy hair <laughs> <laughs> so there's a drawback it's got a personality that's going to be a little wild. So, like, the DM has plenty of room to make this an interesting item anytime you talk about it. Um, I love these boots. They're me my too. New favorite. <laughs> if the DM <laughs> handed me these, these, I'd be like, please, I want this chaos. Just put them on. <laughs> and we talked about their appearance. They are open at the toes, which is either how they talk or they talk out the top, but can only talk when your feet are in them like that. We'll leave that up to the consumer. What do we want to name these boots? Oh, um, I feel like with 10 wisdom and some like crazy alignment thing, the name needs to be really, really dumb. <laughs> Stevie's? Stevie's! <laughs> uh, how about uh, Stevie's mega awesome boots of superheroism? Yes, and they're red and they have a lightning bolt Perfect. on them. <laughs> they're like doc martens but red and they have like <laughs> no lightning roll. perfect i love it uh. <laughs> all right just send us off to griffin's saddlebag be like hey we've got something for you <laughs> it's excellent and if you don't think so you're wrong <laughs> our question of the week this week Okay, uh, so question of the week this week comes from our good friend Stubbins, both on Twitter and on Discord. Have there been any mechanics, either official or homebrew, that you've loved on paper but that just didn't work when you brought them to the table? Uh, so I think we talked about this on the success episode, but critical success and critical failure decks, like they look like so much fun, but I've just never been able to make them work out well at the table. Games with built-in critical hit, tables uh sometimes they can work but a lot of times they're just arbitrarily punishing for players so like they always look like so much fun but i've never been able to make them work in a way that was as fun as they look for me i think it would be crafting um i always wanted to have like a sort of crafting system where you like uh i think at one point i had like this uh, intricate. It was this uh, supplement, this homebrew supplement called Surviving in the Wild. It was like you harvest certain materials from different animals, and it'll give you like different effects for whatever equipment you make. Or there's like these two different plants. Uh, the different plants have like these different like little uh, symbols that have effects, and you can combine them into different potions and stuff like that. And it seemed like a really cool system on paper. But it just never really clicked with me or my players. People would forget about it. They would forget to do that stuff. Uh, or it just felt like busy work and more accounting when D&D already has all of that accounting. So I still want to find a way to make it work, but it is crafting in D&D is hard unless it's like project-based, I feel. Well, there's a fun future episode, crafting. There you yeah, go. actually, did a... So Frog Gods, how did text, did that come out? I'm trying to remember now. Um, uh... I have it on my shelf right next to me. I'm reading through it. So far, I'm enjoying it. Okay, Tome of Alchemy, is that it? Tome of Alchemy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for a future episode, though. Okay, sure. cool. I only say that to say, Ash, there could be an answer. Could be an answer. I hope you're right. I really do. Uh, we actually talked about crafting on Crit Fails, and we were just like, yeah, I don't think it can be done. But <laughs> I'm looking forward to being proven wrong. Yeah, so. It would make everybody very, very happy. Yes. What about you, Randall? I'm, I'm thinking it through. I guess this is probably more personal failure, but let's go ahead and bring it out there. So actually, I ran this campaign for Tyler and a few other friends. Um, I wanted to do a essentially a zombie campaign. Uh, I, I actually I really enjoy the genre. It hasn't completely played out for me yet, although at one point I'm going to burn out. Um, but I love the idea of racing against time every time somebody falls another zombie is created like what are we going to do in in this environment and so i ran this game but ultimately the mechanic of like well how do you make something undead okay no longer suffers from any of these status effects and if it falls unless it falls from a magic weapon um roll a die and see maybe the creature gets back up and you have to keep fighting it um the, the punchline is i feel like that's interesting as a mechanic 
here and there. But as a general, like, well, what if everything around me is undead? It really sucked. Um, and I think I don't think that's a problem with the mechanic itself. So I'm cheating a little bit, Stubbins. I'm sorry. But trying to use that mechanic as the basis for most of the monsters in your campaign uh, is it, it gets boring and it gets old, I think, to the players very quickly. Uh, one of the things that I figured out part of the way through that is more interesting is the shadow mechanic, because the shadow has the likelihood of like turning you into a shadow as well um, in a way that the undead uh, doesn't have that mechanic. And so I think like if you were going to try to build a campaign on something, either merging the undead and the shadow mechanic or just straight up like, ah, forget the undead, all of my like all of my undead. No, how do how do I say this? I, I think all you're mixing my, up. I think you're mixing up uh, undead and zombies specifically. Like the zombie resiliency is the thing where they get back up, and only zombies have that. Oh, uh, yeah. No, you're right. You're 100 right. Yes, yes, yes. 100. But it was so, a zombie game, so like 99 percent of the undead we ran into were zombies. No, 100 percent, and exactly. So building building a campaign around the zombie resilience, where one of the things you're doing is just adding zombie resilience to every character, every creature they fight. It does become incredibly boring, and I basically jettisoned that part of the way through because it wasn't really going to work. Um, so yeah, take everything I said earlier and just replace Undead with Zombie Resilience. It still stacks. <laughs> um, but I think the Shadow is really interesting. And so doing, you know, playing a game where you basically say, look, all of these Undead things are really just uh, Shadows wearing the Undead mask, I think that's a lot cooler. For sure. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET, uh, reddit.com slash r slash RPGBot. I did get that one wrong last week. Um, and, of course, patreon.com slash RPGBot. And I'm Ashila. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. The Council of Wizards just turned it into like a uh uh charcuterie a, board. <laughs>